Good morning. Today is October 17th. It's a Monday and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. And for those of you who are coming back for more, I'm blessed you're here. Be sure, though, to tell your friends and family that they, too, can be a part of the Thy Strong Word family by listening over the air on AM850 in St. Louis, online at KFUO.org, or through their favorite podcasting app. And be sure to show some love to our sponsor, the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Learn more about their translation and publishing work at LHFmissions.org. And while you're online, send me an email too. Ask a question, make a comment, just say hello. It just helps me to hear from you because you too are part of the conversation. Email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. Well, we have a busy morning. Our text is Daniel chapter two, and we are going to be covering all 49 verses. Now that we've been introduced to Daniel and his friends, chapter 4 details how King Nebuchadnezzar was plagued with dreams he couldn't understand, and his many advisors and magicians also failed to interpret the dreams. But as usual, Yahweh comes to the rescue. Daniel turns to the one true God to help him interpret the dream, after which the king is delighted and promotes Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, to help us interpret and understand this text this morning, I'm happy to welcome my guest, the Reverend Delwyn Campbell. He's a pastor and strategic mission developer for LCMS Mission Field USA, and he's deployed to the city of Gary, Indiana. Pastor Campbell, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure and a delight, and it's it's actually kind of fun. Um, to tear apart scripture and put it together and find where it it fits us and where it hits us. And uh, I'm just excited to be here. Especially something like Daniel, which is so rich and deep in meaning. But before we get into the text, you know, tell me a little bit about your ministry. Uh, You say that you are a strategic mission developer. Now, what does that mean? Ah, thank you for asking. Um, First off, a strategic mission developer really is that primarily. His primary task is being in a community that either has no Lutheran presence whatsoever or whose Lutheran presence is greatly diminished over time. And so we have to assess the situation and look for the best course of action, one, to stabilize the Lutheran community that exists, strengthen it, and as much as God allows, grow it. And so here in Gary, Indiana, we have two Lutheran churches. We have a Lutheran school that's an independent school. It's not connected to either of the congregations directly, but they do have a relationship with one another. Uh, The two congregations are St. John's, Evangelical Lutheran Church, which is the oldest church in Gary, Indiana, or uh, to be precise, the oldest church north of the Calumet River. And then we have Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, which was a church plant uh, in the late 1940s uh, 
to meet the needs of those African-American Lutherans who had moved to Gary uh, from such places as Alabama, North Carolina, and were looking for a place to worship. So they planted, in fact, there were two churches originally that they planted, Good Shepherd in Midtown, which is where at that time in the late 1940s, all the African-Americans in Gary lived in Midtown. And so that church was planted right across the street from Theodore Roosevelt High School, which was the high school that all the African-Americans went to. Later on, they planted another church, St. Philip's Lutheran Church, which was planted in what's called Terrytown, which is to the west. And that's after uh, Blacks were able to move into other parts of the city aside from Midtown. Terrytown is on the western side of the city. That church, unfortunately, no longer exists. But Good Shepherd has been thriving since 1947, and each congregation is stable. Um, Although they have two separate histories, they both have a rich and abiding love for our confessional heritage and faith. Wow. Sounds like you definitely are in an area that just is uh, so needed for reaching out with the gospel, as all areas are. But you sound like just the man for reaching out to your community. And I'm just thankful that we have pastors like you who are doing that good work. Well, thank you. You know, one of the one of the things that you have to wrap your head around in, in this kind of job, uh, in a place like Gary, uh, again, it's, it's in the United States, the, the continental U.S., uh, for those of you who are, have a military background, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and so the stereotype is, well, gosh, in America, you know, we're thoroughly Christianized. Well, there is a sense in which that is true, but Christianized is not the exact equivalent as confessional evangelical Christianized. Uh, there are, in the case of Gary, there are a lot of Roman Catholics. In fact, the largest group of Christians in Gary is Roman Catholic. There are also a lot of, you know, Protestants. By that, I'm referring to Baptists and Methodists and Pentecostals. So there are a lot of people who name the name of Christ, who, you know, trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, but they're not confessional and evangelical. And I recently had, I'm not going to call it a revelation, but uh, an enlightenment, if you will. I started seeing myself and my wife, Lanita, as Priscilla and Aquila. Okay, yeah. And in that regard, the other Christians in Gary, I look at as Apollos. They know some things. They know that Jesus died for them. They know uh, that, you know, the works of the law won't save them. But there are other things that they don't know. And so it becomes our happy task to teach them the way of God more accurately. In some cases, it will end with them joining St. John's or Good Shepherd. In other cases, it will end with them taking what we have shown them back to where they are. And so, you know, we've I've had some people who uh, did not know, for example, you know, what what makes Holy Communion more than just something that you do because Jesus said do it? And 
why it has importance and meaning, why it matters that we do it and we do it rightly. Uh, people who, as far as they knew, baptism was just something you did to let other people know that you're saved. And right. then to find out that baptism actually unites you to Christ and you receive God's gifts in holy baptism. And so it isn't just something you do because Jesus said, do it. And so therefore you don't have to do it every time you think you want to recommit any more than you have to get married every five years just to show that you're still married. <laughs> so yeah, we, well, I came from one of those traditions, so I definitely appreciate the comfort and value in knowing that the sacraments are God's work, not my work. Yeah. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's amazing. So, well, you know, I, we may not, yeah. uh, we may not end up with a Lutheran city, but, but if I, uh, if I have my druthers and God helps, we will have a confessional and evangelical city before I'm done. <laughs> there you go. Well, with the Lord's help and blessing, that's certainly what we hope for. Well, you know, we have we have so much to get into today, and I want to get to it, but I do want to bathe all of this in prayer. So I invite you, brother, to begin us uh, with a word to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you through Jesus Christ, your dear Son that you have graciously kept us this day so far and you've kept us from all harm and danger and we ask you to keep us from sin today so that all our ways and doings might please you we ask you to open our hearts to hear your word and to receive it open our minds to understand it strengthen our spirits lord to trust in it and so undergird our walk that we can live it to the praise of your glorious grace so that our neighbor might experience what it means to stand in the light so that our neighbor might experience the glorious liberty of the children of God and so that our community would be blessed and you would be glorified. And we ask all this through Jesus Christ, your son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So I'm going to read from Daniel chapter 2. We're only going to read just the first 16 verses just to get us started, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version of the Holy Bible. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in, and they stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. And they answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. And the king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. 
If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. But because of this, the king was very angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Okay, lots of verses there, but, you know, and lots to dig into, but it's pretty straightforward. Nebuchadnezzar has these dreams. He summons all of his magicians and astrologers to come. They all argue that there's no way they could tell him what his dream was. But he's kind of calling their bluff. He knows they can make up something if he told them. So he's wanting them to also tell him what his dream is. If you're really uh, magicians and enchanters and sorcerers, you'll be able to tell us. And they can't. So, brother, you know, what's going on here? And, and you know, how can we understand this? Well, as I listened to the reading, I, I love that faith comes by hearing. <laughs> So I love listening to scripture. And, and in fact, and when I'm doing sermons, I try to put as much of God's word into it because I know that God watches over his word to perform it. And I can't make that promise about mine. But as it pertains to this, as you were reading, I thought back to in chapter one, where starting at verse 17, we're given background on Daniel along with uh, his three friends. And it says that God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. So the first thing was that whatever Daniel does in this, he's doing it through the gifts that God supplies. Now, the, the Chaldeans are honest here. It's not what the king is asking is not the norm. It's not the way it's done. And the thing is, the king knows this. It's not like he just, you know, fell into the kingdom on this day. He right. knows he's asking something out of the norm. But he also knows that these people claim to have wisdom and power and and lines of communications with the divine. And so now it's put to the test. And they can't do it. They know they can't. He knows they can't. And maybe some of his anger is rooted in the fact that for all this period of time, you know, these gentlemen have been supported at the king's table. Yeah, He's been supporting these people who have been doing no more than any random stranger picked up off the street could have done. Except yeah. for Daniel. Yeah, you know, it, it. I've always thought that when we talk about kings and they have these advisors, these yes men, these uh, prophets that just speak to the king favorable things, 
And, and surely the people know that the king surrounds himself with people who are just going to tell him what he wants to hear. And you would assume the king knows that, too, that he knows that everyone in their employ, especially if the threat of displeasing him is going to be death, that, that they're just going to say things that he wants to hear. So it seems like he's coming to terms with that. Like, you know, he realizes that if they're really who they say they are, they could just tell me the dream. And as you said, they can't. So, yeah. And it also tells us that when Daniel and we know the story, right? So we know that Daniel's going to end up interpreting this dream. But what he does is by the power of God. So it's different than going to someone who deals in the occult. And I think that's important to make the distinction here, because when we talk about dreams, interpretations, these things are kind of not really known in today's world, except among people who might be in the occult. And that's who the wise men around the king were. But Daniel, as you so rightly pointed out from the first chapter, his abilities do not come from the occult. Uh, and I think that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I also would note in this, and, and this is something we need to bear in mind, because we live in a culture that in some instances, uh, the more attuned they are to modernity as opposed to postmodernism, they would tend to, you know, dismiss all claims of the occult. But we've reached a point in this nation where people have grown disenchanted with modernity and there's been a turn back to spiritualism. You have people saying things now like, well, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. And they're taking another look at some of these old occultic practices. Uh, For about a year, I worked on on a secular radio station and there was an individual that would call me uh very regularly not necessarily every day but frequently during the week and he was uh an animist Hmm. and the only reason i had any understanding of what he was was because i just happened to be taking uh, some phd classes in missiology and so i had been introduced to animism which is a form of paganism. Right, right. But, you know, uh, 20, 30, 40 years ago, uh, that wouldn't have even been something that you could have a conversation with anyone about. Now, it's back, you know. So here's Daniel. He knows that God is able to give him. And so as soon as he hears what's going on, he goes back to his three friends. He tells them what's going on, you know, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And they seek the Lord. And God reveals the mystery. Now, another thing I would say about this thing is, although the king uh, seems to not know or needs needs the, the wise men to tell him what the dream is, it's impacted him enough that he must have an answer. Have you ever had something affect you in a way that you don't fully understand what you know what it is that this thing you're seeing but you know you need to get an answer there, there's uh, somewhere on a core level this thing that you're seeing is really shaking you right. I, I notice nowadays for example uh, there's a lot of stuff going on uh, today with regard to critical thinking in its various 
permutations. And people are seeing it and they know on some level that something, in the words of a song, something just ain't right. <laughs> but but they don't really know where to put their finger on it. But they know it it, 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 it on some level in their core, it just disturbs them. And I know, for example, uh, the Office of National Mission is doing something next week. Uh, that's going to be addressing this very thing. They're doing a conference addressing this very thing uh, under the rubric of our our theme of making disciples for life. And because this issue is is uh, impacting not just as originally it was something for lawyers to look at and tease out and write papers on and tear apart, it's now permeating the larger culture. And while, as they say, we don't teach critical theory, you know, in these various other levels of education, nevertheless, the theories that come from critical theory, that are birthed out of critical theory, are being applied in the way we educate. Right. Well, in, so, in some ways, it makes me think of, you know, all of these court magicians and these advisors and the Chaldeans and all these people that the king is is you know, having him come and consult him with, and he knows that they're just sort of feeding him things that he either wants to know or they're trying to get their own way. That reminds me of a lot of these advisors and presenters and people who will come in and do presentations for the teachers at your school, or they'll come in and do a workshop for the people at the corporation. And they, it's like the, so some of this critical race theory and some of these other things that are out there it seems to me that a lot of it is based on one thing and then has been transformed into a really big business of all these different advisors going out and, and speaking to the powers that be out in the world. And it's not from God. It's from something else. Yeah. And because it's not from God, you know, it can it can speak to some things. I have an old saying, I did not make this up. I picked it up from someone else, but it mm -hmm. is good. A broke clock is right twice a day. And every now and again, a blind squirrel does get a nut. <laughs> and so sometimes things will be said from earthly wisdom that will strike in the neighborhood of truth because it strikes to things that are common to human experience. And so because it hits in the neighborhood of truth and because we don't know all things by nature, it's got just enough of the truth in it to be plausible. That's what makes it dangerous. And here's another thing. I just thought about this the other day, because what we understand about truth as fallen humans largely connects with our experience as he created humans who are wired for the law. I don't know who said this. I think it was Dr. Luther. Uh, the law does not have to be revealed to us. We understand the law by nature. We understand the law. We understand right, right from wrong. We understand that when you do right, there's a reward that goes with it. When you do wrong, there's a consequence. We understand that without the help of revelation. The gospel, on the other hand, must come by revelation. It, it makes no sense to us in our natural earthly wisdom. 
But when God reveals it by the power of the Holy Spirit, the gospel is the most beautiful, wise thing that we could ever come across. So wise it is that we could study it all of our lives and still be enthralled and find new new facets to it because it is the wisdom from God, the variegated wisdom of God. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> well, you know, and speaking of revelation, you know, we see that even in this situation in Daniel 2, that the, the the king has this dream. He wants it to be revealed to him. And not just as we've already noted, does he want the meaning, but he wants the dream itself revealed. There's only one who could do something like that. Yes. And that's why Daniel goes to his buddies. He seeks after their help in petitioning the Lord in prayer. And the Lord blesses that. Uh, before we get to the break, I want to make sure we get these verses out on the table. So I'm going to read verses 17 through 30. Then Daniel went to his house and he made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a dream, in a vision, pardon me, of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven and Daniel answered and he said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells in with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and he said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream? And the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Now, we don't have yet from Daniel in our passage what the dream is, or what the interpretation is. But this most recent, you know, text that I just covered tells us and it shows us that Daniel is placing the credit where it belongs. The king is ready to praise Daniel if he can perform. But Daniel is quick to point that the reason why he's even coming forward in the first place is to show the power of the one true God. What do you think, Pastor? Yes. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Uh, it is the beautiful thing about being a servant of the word 
is that we know that what we have, we have it because God gives it to us. And so there is neither a an anxiety, a performance anxiety, if you will, within us, nor is there an inclination to seek to be puffed up by it. It's okay to be a vessel of honor. It's a great thing to be a vessel of honor. And not only and so, okay, but a blessing, right? To give yes. credit to the Lord? Absolutely. Yes. And, you know, it, it's so freeing. I know that this isn't, you know, something that's that's uh, part of Dell Campbell Enterprises. This is God's work, God's word. We are just the guys who have been chosen by God to convey his message. And so the pressure is not on us. <laughs> The only thing that's on us is just to occupy until he comes, and we do it with joy. Um, Daniel was under no pressure whatsoever. He freely admitted that I couldn't do this any more than anyone else. Right. <laughs> but I, By the way, I love that part because it means that he also sang that I deserve death just like the other people. Well, according to the king's edict, right? So the king yeah. says, I'm going to kill anybody who can't do it. And Daniel steps forward because he wasn't initially called. And he says, oh, yeah, I can't do it either. But <laughs> but I know a guy. And that's what's so important. Yes, I know a guy. You yeah. know, who but knows, but maybe this event was the first step that, you know, as the book of Daniel continues and, you know, we see Daniel's dealings with Nebuchadnezzar and, you know, all the things that Nebuchadnezzar goes through that ultimately lead to him confessing that there is a God. <laughs> He's not like Bell or any of these other gods. <laughs> Nothing like these statues that we got around here. There's this one God. He's the God. That's right. Oh, and what so, a beautiful thought. I, you know what? Let's take a break. I'm uh, right up against the break. So we're going to pause for these messages, but we're going to keep this conversation going. So dear listener, don't go anywhere. When we return, Pastor Campbell and I will keep on talking. Daniel, too. We'll see you on the other side. What's happening in Germany's Lutheran churches, where Iranian refugees are flooding through the doors? What new opportunities for sharing the Christian faith are arising in communist Vietnam, and how can my church play a part? Mission speakers, all LCMS pastors from the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, will come to your church free of charge to preach and lead Bible studies tying into this exciting work going on all around the world. To schedule your speaker, call LHF at 800-554-0723. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo, and with me today is the Reverend Delwyn Campbell, pastor and strategic mission developer for LCMS Mission Field USA, deployed to Gary, Indiana. So, Pastor, before the break, we were talking about how, you know, God's the, the guy to know. That's certainly not to uh, blaspheme the Almighty, but it certainly is a nice way of understanding that we have access to our Heavenly Father through Jesus, something that all the smartest wise men in the world do not have if they don't believe in Jesus. 
And Daniel, he has faith in the one true God, and thus he has access to the wisdom of the Almighty. If, of course, the Almighty chooses to give it to him, and he does. So in our next part of this section, we get to hear Daniel interpreting the dream. But before we head into those verses, anything else you want to make sure we cover? Yes. Um, I know for you know many of our brothers and sisters who don't get to wear the, the robe and stole, sometimes even uh, the word of God seems like a, an alien thing, you know. Um, it's nice to sit on the coffee table. You treat it with reverence, but you're scared to actually approach it because the table on which it sits is holy ground. And even though it's translated into English, apparently it's the type of English that you need a special unction in order to understand. So you just sit back and wait for dear old pastor to tell you what it means. And yet, God's reality is that among the things that he has enabled people to do, he's enabled people to understand the original texts and to be able to translate it well and given us such an abundance of people who are able to do that so we can look at a multitude of resources for that to get a good understanding alongside of the work of those called men, servants of the word, who explain the way of God more accurately. And so it all comes, though, as a gift from God. Our Bibles are a gift from God. And a gift that is not enjoyed and made use of makes the giver feel like it's not appreciated. I'll save that for next Sunday morning. <laughs> <laughs> but you're so right, you know. I mean, we have access. You know, if the creator of the universe were to write you personally a letter, would you read it? And the answer is, of course you would. Well, he has. In the Holy Scriptures, he's made clear things hidden from long ago. We have access to it. You know, you can hear it talked about on the radio. You can go to church and hear the pastor preach about it and teach about it. But, you know, you can also grab a Bible and read it for yourself. You can open up the app on your phone and find it in any language you choose <laughs> and and, you know, any version that you think is more suitable to your understanding. But there it is for you to consume. Yes. We definitely want to honor God by uh, continuing to prophesy, that is, to speak the word of God to others. So I'm going to read uh, verses 31 uh, all the way through 45, which is almost to the end of the chapter. And this is where Daniel interprets the dream. Daniel says, You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on it its feet of iron and clay, and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away, so that not a trace of them could be found. 
But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and the toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. So, the, uh, as you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break into pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. So, Wow, pretty intense stuff talking to the king. Essentially, here's Daniel, and he's speaking to the king of the world. You know, there is, you know, Nebuchadnezzar is the king of everything. And he's telling him that this dream, which is confirmed because Nebuchadnezzar would know what the dream was. And so that means the interpretation must be firm too. And he tells him that essentially uh, your kingdom will come to an end. You're the king of the world now, but there's coming a kingdom um, later. And, and so unpack that for us. You know, what's, what's going on? Yes. In fact, we can look back through the pages of history and see, you know, the various kingdoms and empires that have arisen one upon another, one after another. Um, and every empire has its birth. Every empire has its zenith. Every empire comes to an end. And in, during each one, the person in charge or people in charge always thought that they would be forever, that they were the end all and be all, that all power was in their hand. But even they owed their position to the creator who does everything according to the counsel of his will. He, in that sense, Nebuchadnezzar was no different than Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he's no different than the kings and authorities that exist today. Well, there is one kingdom which is not like those kingdoms. It's not built based upon them. It's not built upon them. It owes its existence to none of them. It's a stone not made by hands. And when it comes, when it is established, that kingdom the book of Revelations puts it this way. And the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. And in the words 
Then Handel wrote, and he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. When our Lord establishes his kingdom through the preaching of the gospel, it sweeps away all earthly rule and wisdom and power. It's not based upon earthly concepts or philosophies. It's based upon the will and grace and power of our God. And when Jesus Christ rules as King of kings and Lord of lords, he shall not be replaced. There shall not come another after him. There will not be another like him. He is worthy of all the praise and honor that all these men and some women have sought for themselves and tried to coerce out of people or convince people, but they never deserved it. And so, as old folks like to say, I have learned to treat with a long-handled spoon those who come to me every four years saying, vote for me and I'll set you free. (laughs) Because in truth, he whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Everybody else is just filling in. (laughs) You know, you, you brought up several things that we could definitely talk about in your, uh, you know, your commentary on that. The first of which, which you also just mentioned, is this reality that everybody, every kingdom, you know, or government that exists thinks it's the end-all, be-all. It was probably more so to Nebuchadnezzar, right? So Nebuchadnezzar is essentially the king of the world. But as you rightly pointed out, you know, then you have Pharaoh. He's the god king of the world in his own eyes. And it goes on through time. And even the... The people who govern today, regardless of the country and regardless of how small or large or powerful or weak the country is, they all try to exercise that power over others. So um, so we have this uh, explanation that also connects to Nebuchadnezzar, though, because he's the monarch of the Babylonian kingdom. He's that golden head, which I'm sure he appreciated. But what about these other kingdoms? Now, you applied it more broadly, which I absolutely believe is the best way to apply this text, because when you dig in too much, you miss the point. You miss Christ. You miss what's coming. But still, it's worth noting that there are some different views because people, because Daniel has not identified who these kingdoms are, I think on purpose, but our desire to name them ends up getting people into arguments over their identity. Mm. Uh, You know, there are people who say, well, You know, the four kingdoms are Babylon and Persia and Greece and Rome. Some say it's Babylon and Medea and Persia and Greece. But as you pointed out, and I so deeply appreciate, is that what's important is the establishment of God's kingdom fulfilled by the coming of Jesus Christ during the during the Roman times. And so now. Then we have Christians who also find that important, but then they start to try to use all of this apocalyptic language and all the numbers therein, the 10 toes and that sort of thing to try to determine when things are going to happen that God has not revealed to us. And when they do that, it's almost like they're falling into the errors of the wise men around the king who who were trying to uh, say, well, if as long as we had more information, we could then determine you know what the truth of your dream is 
But we have people today who are crying out, you know, oh, the world's coming to end or crisis coming back or they've calculated all of these different numbers throughout the Bible to come up with these false prophecies. And yet they're missing the point. And that is, as you put, the coming of the kingdom of God through Jesus. Yes, indeedy. Uh, I know that there's some guys that have made quite a name for themselves <laughs> yes. uh, with these various uh, uh, prognostications <laughs> about what this means and what that means and what this dates to and, you know, set your alarm clock for this or that. And, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's sadly funny that people are willing to dig so deep into earthly things which are temporal and won't allow God to show them what is the the thing the one thing <laughs> it's not who is the bronze and who is the the iron and who is the clay it's who is the stone because right. all these other things are going to pass away. And if you if, and if you try to build your house on those things, it's like what Jesus said about building your house on sand. If you build your house on the gold, pure gold is a beautiful thing, but it's also very soft. If you build it on the bronze, it's also beautiful, also soft. Iron, much harder, not as pretty. Clay, it's very useful, very malleable, but doesn't mix well with iron. And you can't use iron to make it stronger. You can just throw them in the same pot, but it doesn't make the clay any stronger. But all of these things, they all fade away. And when we talk about, I know some people have mockingly said, well, Christianity is just a promise of pie in the sky. Well, you know what? If to the extent it is that, it's a meal that will always satisfy you. <laughs> it's a meal that will meet every need you have. And right now, yeah, a certain element of it is in the sky where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. But part of that pie is here right now because his church is here, his bride. And one of the things I love telling people, Jesus is a one-woman man. He only has one bride. <laughs> he has no girlfriends, no side pieces. So, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so if you want to try to connect to God through anything other than the church, you're wasting your time. And, and, and time is not a thing you can afford to waste. You pointed, uh, rock. Yeah, you pointed to that rock. Um, it, there's similar language with Isaiah. He talks about being, he's reminding the people that they should look back to where they were, where they come from. But he refers to them as a rock hewn from Abraham. He says in for, uh, chapter 51, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, the idea to look to Abraham is to look to the God of Abraham. But in this text, it talks about the stone that was hewn from a mountain by no human hand. And as you've already pointed out, that stone is that stumbling block for most, Jesus Christ. And, and the, the king was pleased with this, though. 
He was. And and I want to get these last verses on the table so we can include them in our conversation. 46 through 49. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel. And he commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. And the king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a reveler of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made a request of the king. And he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's his friends earlier, over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Now, there's lots more to learn about Daniel. We're only in chapter two. But isn't this amazing? The, the mm. king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his feet and paid homage to who? To Daniel. Daniel. He's, he's missing the point. Yeah. And remember that Daniel's a young man when this happens. Right. According to chapter one, he's a young guy. So, you know, uh, grant to Daniel the fact that he's human and he's young. And the king of the world, as he knows it, has just heaped a bunch of honors on him. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to get mad at Daniel because he didn't rebuke the king like, you know, Paul saying, no, 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 you know, worship God. No, he, okay. He's still getting used to this sort of stuff. All he knows at this point is, look, I know God gave me this stuff, gave me this ability. God revealed the dream. And 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 the king does say that, you know, my God is the God of gods and the king right. of kings. And so, and the king has given me this, you know, maybe the Lord will use it. Right. Who's to say that that's not the way the Lord's providing for Daniel yes. and, his, and his friends? So, you know. We'll, 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 we'll get to, there's more to the story, but at least we do know those of us who've taken the time to stay awake during Sunday school <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I've heard the rest of the story. We do know that Daniel, you know, does keep the main thing, the main thing. And he makes use of his promotion, not just to benefit himself or even just his friends, but to serve the king as God has given him this new vocation in Judea or in Judah before his capture. He was one of the princes, one of many. And now God has given him this position. And so he uses it to the praise of his glorious grace, not to the elevation of himself. There's a story of restoration here. You know, yeah. there's a story of of God, uh, you know, Daniel is being faithful, and while we don't always anticipate worldly benefits from our faithfulness, in fact, usually, according to the scriptures, we should expect just the opposite, there are occasions where God, you know, blesses his people for their faithfulness. And mm -hmm. while that's not why we do it, we certainly thank God when it happens. And use it accordingly. And use it accordingly. As, as you pointed out, Daniel does. And for being a young guy, he does a really good job of not falling into these temptations. You know, mm -hmm. he he shows up, he's brazen, he, uh, you know, basically puts himself on the radar of the king who's looking to kill all the wise guys. He says, hey, I know the dream. He's trusting that God's going to be able to um, reveal it to him and show him uh, that, that this is true, that what he's experienced, he trusts the word of God. 
And then, yeah, he's promoted at the end. But we, we will see that that promotion is pretty dubious. It puts him in a pretty bad situation a lot of times. But it also presents him with lots more opportunities to trust in and rely on God. If he were taking this promotion um, out of any sort of human pride, then he certainly would not have if he knew what was coming up. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. well, brother, we're actually towards the end of our episode, but I want to give you the last few minutes here to share, you know, about this, about whatever you'd like. Share with the listeners. Uh, give them uh, something to take home, something to share with their neighbors. Um, and I, uh, and you can have the rest of the time, just a Amen. few minutes. Amen. Uh, first of all, brothers and sisters, wherever you're listening, whether it's uh, uh, over the air, online, uh, however, I mean, thanks to modern technology, there's so many ways to enjoy this program. Understand that what God gives to you, he doesn't just give it to you to make you fat and sassy and satisfied. He gives it to you so that you can love your neighbor through God's gifts to you. He gives this word to you, this strong word, so that you can be a blessing to your neighbor. For a lot of people, what they think they know about the Lord Jesus Christ is could, could fill books versus what they actually know based on what he has revealed concerning himself. And God has placed you as a confessional and evangelical Christian in a place where you are able to serve your neighbors, not just the ones that you know don't know the Lord, but even those who do. Uh, Dr. Luther wrote in the small called articles, uh, let us now return to the gospel. He gives four ways through which the gospel is proclaimed. And the fourth one is through the mutual conversation and consolation of brothers and sisters, as it is written, where two or three are gathered in my name. I encourage you, if you've got a, a, an office like me or like my sisters, the deaconesses, my brothers, the pastors and such, or whatever vocation you have, make use of the gifts that God has given you in his word to share that gift with your neighbor so that they too can have the peace that passes understanding, so that they can know that Christ is for them and that he reveals his will to us in his word for our good so that we can have a walk that's worthy of him, so that we can be fruitful under every good work, so that we can redeem the time. I encourage you, make use of God's gifts to you for your neighbor's good. That way, you're loving your neighbor, and that pleases God. I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Delwyn Campbell, pastor and strategic mission developer for LCMS Mission Field USA, deployed to Gary, Indiana. Thank you, Pastor, for being on the show. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Bethel. I appreciate you inviting me. And thank you, too, dear listener, for tuning in to Thy Strong Word. I've been your host, Pastor Phil Boo. Come and join us tomorrow as we turn the page to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel's recently been promoted by the king. But now he faces another challenge to his faithfulness. King Nebuchadnezzar has erected a statue of himself 
and orders the people to worship it. Does David comply? Join us tomorrow. Until then, God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong word.